Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today, whether you are here at our Maryville location, online watching, or if you are at our Bearden location. So glad you're here. Happy Southern Sunday, and I hope you've had some good food so far. And uh, we've got some pie coming in just a little bit. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to the book of John. We're going to go to John chapter 20. Uh, And we're going to look at that in just a moment. I want you to imagine with me for a second that it's been a hard week. It's been a stressful week. There's been a lot of activity going on in your life. But it's Friday night and you're finally in your PJs and you're finally in your bed and it's roughly 7 p.m. Are you tracking with me? I mean, the biggest decision you have to make is what movie am I going to watch or what book am I going to read? It's that kind of night, right? You're finally in a place where you're going to have a little me time. And then you have a thought. You think, I wonder what everybody else is doing. So you pick up your phone to look at social media and then you discover that some of your best friends are all together at a concert at one of your favorite artists. And immediately a wave of FOMO wafts over you. Now you're bitter and angry and why didn't I get invited? And now all of a sudden you're doing this and doing that. And man, that's just kind of what FOMO does to us. Uh, FOMO, by the way, is an acronym that means the fear of missing out. And I think it's one of those things in our culture today that's one of the biggest anxiety producers of our time. Uh, The fear that your friends are having more fun than you. Your friends bought the stock at the right time before you bought it. Your friends are enjoying the product that you don't have. Essentially, your friends are having a better life than you are. And so FOMO captures this anxiety. And the bad thing about FOMO is that it really keeps us from connecting to each other because maybe this has happened to you. You're eating dinner with your family and you look up and you learn that everybody's head is down looking at their phone. (laughs) Has that ever happened? And everybody's just kind of engaged on social media on their phone and not paying attention to each other in the moment, basically saying, I'm here with you guys, but I'd rather be with those guys. (laughs) I'm, I'm here with you and we're doing this thing, but I'd rather be you know, doing what they're doing. FOMO is a very real thing. In our scripture today, we're gonna see a story where a guy by the name of Thomas had the most epic moment of, of, of what he could actually experience FOMO more so than anybody in the history of the world. He had this reason of, of fearing what he's missing more than anybody else in the world. Essentially, Jesus died on the cross. On the third day, he rose from the grave. And then a week later, after that initial uh, Easter Sunday, he appears to the disciples. But, Peter's, or, but Thomas is nowhere to be found. He wasn't there. Imagine the greatest miracle in the history of the world. And you missed it. You weren't there. You didn't get to see the resurrected Jesus. And all your friends are like, oh, bro, you should have been here, man. It was incredible. He was right here. It was amazing. And you're like, "Uh, uh," right? So Thomas, of all people, knows what that feels like. And and the, the way that he responds is that he doubts. He is skeptical. Here are his best friends, right? Peter, 
James, John, Mary, Martha. He's been spending time with them for years now. And they're like, Jesus is alive. He's alive. It was amazing. And Thomas is like, no, I'm not going to believe it. I don't believe it. He couldn't wrap his mind around the idea. And part of that comes from this concept that the disciples did not expect Jesus to come back to life. That was a huge shocker. It was a huge surprise. They weren't like uh, waiting for that. And so imagine them dealing with that reality, but then also Thomas like, what? That's like, no way. How could that happen? There's no way at all. And so he's like, I need visual proof. I need tangible, tactile proof. I wanna, I wanna see and touch the nailed, scarred hands of Jesus. I wanna see and touch the, his side where the, the soldier pierced him with a spear. He wanted to see it before he would believe it. And my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would show up in your life today that he would remove some of the blinders in your life and finally, like Thomas, allow you to let down and let go of your doubt so that you can pick up your faith in Jesus. Let's look at the story in John chapter 20 and we'll see how it goes. I like to put the, the text up here so that everybody can see it if you don't have your Bible. So verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I physically have to touch it. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples uh, were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Man, what an incredible text. The title of today's message is Eight Days to See Jesus. Because for eight days, Thomas is doubting. For eight days, he's not believing. For eight days, he is skeptical, right? And as a, think about the, the week that uh, is transpiring. All of his friends saying, bro, You've got to believe us. Why would we lie? This actually happened. And for eight days, he's not trusting that Jesus is alive. Some of you would say, it's been eight years and I still don't believe. Some of you might say, it's been 80 years and I still doubt that Jesus 
is alive. Some of you can relate to Thomas. You're doubting your faith. You're doubting whether or not Jesus is alive. You're doubting if the Bible is authentic or real. You're, you're, you're doubting the miracles in the Bible. And so for you, you're just unsure. And, and I would just pause and say, look, we're all doubters on some level. If you say you've never doubted, if you say you've never dealt with that, I would say that, that you're not being honest because every single one of us is gonna experience doubt on some level because we have sin in our life and we're not perfect. And so we're gonna go through that. But there needs to be a moment in your life where you are finally saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go of my doubt and I'm, I'm going to pick up my faith and, and believe that Jesus has forgiven me, believe that Jesus rose from the grave, believe that Jesus offers me salvation. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe. I will never believe unless I see it for myself. And so as a result of this story, um, really Thomas gets a nickname and the nickname that he gets is Doubting Thomas. How many of you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? Even in the secular world, you don't have to know anything about the Bible. If you're the guy at work that's doubting something's gonna happen, oh, you're Doubting Thomas, right? You've heard that before. I'm sure if he knew that was his nickname, he would be upset today. <laughs> He'd be like, bro, what the heck? It was only eight days. Like, I did believe. Why would that? See, you know, nicknames kind of just come. How many of you guys have a nickname you don't really like? How many of you want to, sh- y- y'all want to share the nickname? No, I'm just kidding. Don't share the nickname. Um, a few years back, uh, we were at, we were having our marriage conference. We were actually in the West building. And I was standing next to Pastor Greg and uh, Pastor Greg gets a text message from Pastor Taylor and it says, get me a light roast. And so Greg looks at the text and he has this weird face and he shows me and we start laughing and we're like, what does this mean? Right? And so we're like, Taylor, get you a light roast? And he goes, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Um, his wonderful wife, Victoria, had sent him a text asking if he wanted some coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> And so Taylor's response was, yes, get me a light roast. Man, we laughed at that and we were giving him a hard time. And henceforth, on that day, he shall be known as light roast. (laughs) You see, nicknames just happen sometimes, don't they? Whether you like them or not, you kind of get stuck with them. Well, this is kind of what Thomas is experiencing, right? He's, He's a religious guy. He's a spiritual guy, but he just didn't believe that Jesus was alive. And there are some people here today that are saying the same thing as him. I'm not gonna believe it unless I see a miracle. I'm not gonna believe it unless I experience this or I see this. Now, we have many reasons why you might be doubting. There might be many reasons in your life that you doubt your faith or you doubt uh, that God uh, could save you. Maybe, maybe it's your past or whatever. Uh, but I'm going to mention a few today. And, and the, the things that I'm going to mention have to do with what the disciples were experiencing, what Thomas was experiencing, right? So here are a few thoughts today. First of all, fear feeds your doubt. So we see in the scripture here that they were actually fearing for their life. They're in a room, they've locked the doors, and the text said that they were afraid of the Jews, the religious leaders, essentially. They were afraid that they might get arrested, they were afraid that they might lose their life, and so fear is this huge part of what they're wrestling with, and fear is a very powerful 
weapon that can be used against you. Some of you are living with a lot of fear today. Some of you are experiencing a lot of fear. When you are fearful, you tend to focus on your fear and not your faith. When you're focused on your fear, it leads you to more and more doubt and more and more fear in your life. And when you live in that fear, it clouds your decisions and you start to live out of your emotions and you start to make decisions that are out of your character and you start to do things that you normally wouldn't do because fear kind of leads us to make irrational decisions. We start to act out of emotion and not reality. And it might be one of the reasons today that you're actually not living your life for Jesus. You're living out of your emotions or you're living out of fear, afraid to follow Jesus, because if you follow Jesus, then perhaps you might lose a friendship. If you follow Jesus, then you might have to do some things you don't wanna do. If you follow Jesus, then your parents might be upset with you. For whatever reasons, there's fear and it's keeping you from trusting Jesus today. Uh, now, healthy fear is a good thing, right? There's a difference between healthy fear and, and um, unhealthy fear. I uh, hope you have a healthy fear of poisonous snakes. Like, you don't wanna mess with them, right? I um, hope you have a healthy fear of being in a car accident today, and so it would lead you to be cautious. Some of you are not cautious. You drive like a bat out of hell, you cut people off, you flip people off, and you need to chill out, bro. You need to calm down. Right? You don't have enough fear about accidents. And then there are others of you, bless your heart, you drive 30 miles an hour in the left lane. We love you, but please get over. You probably have a little too much fear and caution uh, when it comes to car accidents. So somewhere in the middle is where the two extremes need to come together. Now, for the disciples, they are experiencing probably some healthy fear and that they might be um, are, are arrested. They might be you know, taken to jail, right? That's, that's probably a healthy fear for them considering what's going on. But in the middle of their fear, in the midst of that anxiety and fear, what does Jesus bring? Jesus wants to give you peace. He wants to give them peace. What does he say? He actually says it three times. I put it here twice, verse 21, verse 26, peace be with you. When Jesus comes into the room, he wants to bring peace. When Jesus isn't in the room, there's no peace. And so every single one of us that might be experiencing some fear, fear of what's gonna happen in your future, fear about your past, how it's gonna impact you, fear about what you're gonna do or how you're gonna do it if you give your life to Jesus, Jesus wants to bring you peace. He wants to give you peace with God. He wants to give you peace with your spouse. He wants to give you peace from your past. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus wants to bring peace in your life. And I think peace is one of the most fundamental desires and needs of the human race. Like we long for peace. We don't want conflict, we want peace. And our sin robs us of that inner peace. Sin robs us of that inner peace. And and because we are sinners, that makes us, the Bible says, enemies of God. God cannot allow sin into heaven. God cannot allow our sin to go unpunished. And so the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus has done for you and for me, is that he willingly, not forced, 
He willingly goes to the cross to pay for your sin, to take the punishment that you and I deserved. And when he died, he said, it is finished. And what he meant is that his mission to save his people was complete. He paid for our sin on the cross and his death is satisfying the wrath of God against sin. We don't like to think about the wrath of God, but God hates sin. God's gonna punish all sin. So the wrath of God is against sin, which means that we're gonna suffer, which means that we're gonna bear that wrath. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes our place and he bears the weight of the wrath of God towards sin and he dies. And on the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death and proving that he was the son of God. Now think about this, the consequence of our sin is death. The reality is every single person listening today, every single person period is going to face death. We are going to die, right? The consequence of our sin is death. And so Jesus, if if Jesus is unable to deal with the consequences of our sin, death, then we will never have hope. We will, we will never have forgiveness. We will never get to go to heaven. If Jesus couldn't do it for himself, then you and I have no chance. But the reality and the good news for all of us is that Jesus can deal with the reality of our consequences, death. And he defeated it on Easter Sunday. He rose from the grave, defeating sin, and defeating death. So when we recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you hear people say that, by making him your Lord means that he's the boss, he's in control, he's number one in your life. And you are identifying him as your Savior. You are saying, I have faith that your death and your resurrection is what is needed to forgive me of sin and give me eternal life and to give me a relationship with God. So we're saying, God, forgive me. We're saying, Jesus, I commit our life, my life to you. And through him, we get a relationship with God. No longer are we enemies of God. We're actually now children of God. And we get peace with him. See, when it comes to faith in Jesus, there might be some of you who have fears to overcome. You have legitimate fears. If you give your life to Jesus, it means leaving your grandmother uh, and her faith. Maybe you were raised a completely, you know, in a completely different religion. Your parents might disown you if you come to faith in Jesus. There are some real fears um, that are here. You might disappoint a relative or family member. I can't tell you how many times people are hesitant to be baptized because they're afraid of what their grandmother is gonna say, right? And so those are real fears. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus lays out the terms of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You see, the crowds were huge at this time. Everybody was loving the miracles and the free food, right? Feeding the 5,000. They loved the, 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 loved the food. Jesus was the talk of the town. He was popular, but Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they, they desired the benefits of what he did, but they didn't care who he was. They loved the gifts, but not the life he was calling them to. And so he, he gives an example in Luke 14 that I wanted to share that really sets the standard and the bar for what it means to follow Jesus. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, 
yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, the reality is the standard of following Jesus, what we are giving up when we follow him is pretty high. And Jesus says, count the cost. In other words, you need to realize before you give your life to Jesus what it might cost you, right? If you build a house, if you build a tower, you wanna get a budget together and you wanna make sure you have the money to actually complete it, right? You see, what Jesus is saying here is not you know, to literally hate your mother or father. What he is saying is we must put him first. We must agree and recognize that following him is worth more than anything else. The most important thing that any of us could do today is put our faith in him and follow him and do whatever it is he's asking us to do. Period, that's the most important thing anybody listening today could ever do. Following him means that you might lose a relationship or a dream or, or material things or yes, even our lives. And so if you're following Jesus simply for what you're gonna get from him, you're not gonna stick around. If you're following him just for the gifts or just for the good, you won't be here long. You won't be in church very long at all. If we have not counted the cost of being his child, we're easily gonna turn away when the going gets tough, when there's adversity, when there's danger, and we'll find something else to fill our sinful needs and desires. In Jesus's earthly ministry, there came a time when the free food stopped and it became dangerous to be around him. The cheering crowds became jeering crowds and Jesus knew what was gonna happen all along. There's a huge difference between being a follower of Jesus and merely giving mental assent to who he was. And there's a big difference and we struggle with it in the South. We struggle with it greatly. People say they believe in the concept of Jesus and yes, I am a Christian, but they have never truly decided and with their life truly committed their life to him. They're not actively following him. Jesus said things like, if you want to find life, you've got to lose your life. That means putting him first. It's not just believing the right things. He says, follow me. It's laying down your dreams, pursuits. Yes, laying down your idols and grabbing a hold of the greatest treasure in the world, Jesus himself. We must lose our lives. And when we do and we find it in Jesus, he leverages it for his glory and our good. And some of you need Jesus today. You need to put your faith in Jesus. 
Some of you are saying the price is too high. The cost would be too high to follow Jesus. And I'm unsure if it's the decision I wanna make. And I would say the cost of rejecting Jesus is a price much higher, much higher. So I would plead with you to give your life to Jesus. Don't let fear keep you from saying yes to him today. Secondly, I also think in this, we see that frustration feeds your doubts. If you're frustrated, it's gonna feed your doubt. Um, Some of you are frustrated with the world, you're frustrated with your spouse, you're frustrated with where you're at in life. You might be frustrated with God because you don't feel like he's doing what he should be doing in your life. Uh, The disciples were frustrated. I mean, the the guy who they thought was gonna be king of Israel just got crucified on a cross, didn't go the way they had planned. And so I imagine they were super frustrated. I imagine Thomas was super frustrated because not only did Jesus die, but, but he missed out on seeing the risen savior. And he's like, man, I'm so frustrated. My friends are lying to me. They're saying they, they saw Jesus. And so all of this frustration, I think can lead to further doubt in our life. But the biggest frustration that some of you are experiencing today, I think one of the biggest frustrations you'll ever experience in your life is not knowing what you're here on this earth to do. If you don't know your purpose in life, you're gonna be frustrated your entire life. That's why when Jesus shows up into the room, what does he say? I wanna give you purpose. I wanna give you purpose. Look at it in in verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. See, Jesus wants to give them purpose. When you're frustrated, you've got to remember your purpose. You go back to your purpose because life is frustrating. There's going to be constant frustrations in your life because we live in a broken world. And every time you're frustrated, you go back to your purpose. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He was sending them out to do what? to plant churches, to preach the gospel, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's their purpose. Now, what's your purpose? You might be a businessman, businesswoman, right? Your purpose is yes, to go lead that business, but because you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is sending you into that office. So you're gonna lead with integrity. You're gonna lead with character. You're gonna treat your staff and your people well, your customers with honor. And every moment and every chance that you get to talk about Jesus and to share your faith, you're gonna use that opportunity. That's you living on mission. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you. 9 a.m. or maybe earlier tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're being sent to go on mission. And if you don't understand that purpose, you're gonna be frustrated your entire life. You are not here on this earth for yourself. In fact, any time that you live for yourself, you're gonna discover that life becomes extremely meaningless and boring and empty every time. Because the reality is we weren't created just for ourselves. We were created to live for Jesus and God loves you. He's got a purpose for you, but, the, but you will only discover that purpose when you discover who Jesus is. You put your faith in him. I think Thomas gets a bad rap, you know? He gets called a nickname, Doubting Thomas, but... I love him because I feel like he's being authentic. He's being real, right? I like authenticity and just being real. And we live in a world where we're always kind of fake and how are you doing? Oh, I'm just fine. You know, my wife hates me and my kids are crazy, but I'm just fine. (laughs) You know, we do it every day, right? 
What if, we, what if we were the guy that showed up to small group and they were like, hey, how are you doing? Well, we didn't want to come tonight. We've been fighting all night, but we're here. <laughs> Chips and salsa is in the kitchen. Help yourself. <laughs> yeah, chocolate in there too. Get some of that. You know, we live in a world where we feel like we have to fake it before we can make it. You know, over and over again, we, we feel that we have to put on this, this, um, this aura, this, this, you know, image that we got it all together and that our marriage is perfect and that our kids are wonderful and we've got everything kind of figured out, right? But I think if you're living that way, you are missing so much of what Jesus wants to do in your life. You see, here's what I think. I think when you're ready to get real, you're ready to get Jesus. When you're ready to get real about your sin and your problems, when you're ready to get real with God, when you're ready to be authentic and lay it out there and admit some things and stop giving excuses and stop trying to you know, excuse your behavior, when you're ready to be in a group of, of believers and you're ready to be authentic in that setting, then I think you're ready to get more of Jesus. But if you're just gonna fake your spiritual life, you're eventually gonna leave the church. It's just a matter of time. And I'll try to convince you and others will try to convince you, don't leave, but you'll have a good story. You'll have a good excuse and you'll walk away and you'll blame other things. But the reality is perhaps you just never got real. You were never authentic and you were never really in a relationship with God. I think some of the reason why some of you aren't living your life for Jesus is that you've never been honest with him. You've never figured out how to get real with God. And you definitely have never been real with other believers. You've never opened up and, 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 and felt accountability. You've never truly been involved. You've never served. And so you, 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 you look at counting the cost and you're like, oh yeah, the cost is too high. I don't have time to do all that. So I just wanna get you know, enough to get saved and then I'll let other people. You're frustrated and it's because you're not fulfilling your purpose. And I wanna encourage you today to overcome that. Lay down your life, lay down that frustration and pick up the purpose that Jesus has given to you. Thirdly, and finally, I think isolation feeds your doubt. Where was Thomas when everybody was together hanging out with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus? Well, we don't know, but we know he wasn't with the group. And so isolation you know, has, a, has a way of tearing and breaking us down. If you are isolating yourself from God's people or God's church, it's always gonna feed your doubt. Think about it. The enemy wants you to be alone so that he can feed your mind with more doubt. That's what he wants. He wants you to be alone. He wants you to grow in doubt. He doesn't want you around positive influences. He doesn't want you around people that love Jesus. He doesn't want you to be uh, encouraged he doesn't want you to be challenged to, to live for God. So if the enemy can isolate you, he can feed you. And some of you are eating it, lie after lie after lie. It's hard to imagine not believing some of your best friends, you know? Mary, Martha, Peter, James, all these guys, and Thomas is, is good friends with all these guys, and, and, and he doesn't believe him. It'd be like one of your best friends seeing somebody famous at you know, an airport. You know, I saw Peyton Manning at, at, at the airport. I mean, it was awesome. We talked, 
Like, no, you didn't. What do you mean? Why would I lie about that? Yeah, I saw him. We just kind of ran into each other. Did you get a picture? Well, no, I didn't want to be a fanboy. I just wanted to talk, you know, man to man. Like, that's, I don't believe you. What if your friend did that to you? Like, well, forget you, man. You know, this is what, what, what they all had to be going through, this tension of, what do you mean you don't believe me? How can this be happening? And, and so all of this is, is happening in his life and this isolation and, and now he's kind of off to the side. Everybody's like excited about Jesus being alive. He's off by himself, frustrated, isolated, not believing. He's doubting. And I think that's what other people can help us do is, is we have strength in those moments and he was missing out on that. If you've isolated yourself from other people, you're isolating yourself from God, you don't have the power to live today. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus wants to give power to live. So what does he say to them? He says, well, I wanna give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, yes, you get saved, but then you get the gift of the Holy Spirit living within your soul, giving you the power to live giving you the power to overcome sin in your life. Now, when Jesus says that you're gonna receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's not giving it to them right there in that moment. It doesn't come uh, for a couple more weeks in Acts chapter two, we read about it. But Jesus is saying here that he's going to breathe on them and give them the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, it gives them the power to live for Jesus. It's that power within us that helps us make wise decisions. It's that power within us to sense the the calling and direction of God in our life. It's that that power within us that helps us take control of our emotions and overcome them and produce the fruits of the Spirit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those gifts. It's the power within us that helps us and allows us to do that. So let me ask you a question. Why are you doubting Jesus today? What are you afraid of? What frustrations in your life are keeping you from getting real with him? Why are you isolating yourself from God and from other believers? For Thomas, something amazing happens. He, he gets what some of us might want today, right? He's there the next time and, and the next time Jesus appears in the room, the doors are locked again, they're still afraid. Jesus appears to them, not, in, not as a ghost or you know, some kind of spirit, but somehow he gets in the room and he's there bodily in physical form. And he says, peace be with you. And he looks at Thomas and he's like, Thomas, go ahead, touch my hand. You wanna to touch my side where the spear pierced me? Go ahead, stop disbelieving and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He puts his faith in Jesus in that moment. Now, we don't know if he actually touched Jesus and we, we don't know that. Uh, I, I think that it was seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus, that's all it took. You see, sometimes we think, here's what I need in order to really believe. And we give God a list. Well, I need to see the nail-scarred hands, I need to touch them, and then I need to touch the spear side, and then I need this, and that guy needs to apologize to me before I give my life to Jesus, and I'm not going back to church until something there happens, and I'm not, I ain't believing that, Nuh-uh, not until this happens. 
you got a list. And Jesus is like, stop disbelieving and believe. He is the risen savior who wants to give you power today. He wants to give you purpose today. He wants to save you today. And my hope is that you would in fact believe in him. What Thomas did is exactly what some of you need to do today. You need to let go of your doubt. You need to let go of your fear. You need to let go of that, that isolationist within you and come to Jesus by faith. I love what verse 29 says. Look at it again. It says, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and believe. So Jesus's point here is that, look, Thomas, you got to see me. And that's why you believe. The really blessed people are the people like you and I today, who we didn't see him in bodily form, but he's given us the ability to believe. That to me is the blessing that God wants to give to some of you today. Romans 10 verse nine says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. In other words, you're made right with God. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there is a profession of faith. You are physically speaking your faith, right? It's with your heart that you believe, but it's with your, your, your mouth that you are professing that Jesus is your Lord and your God. And in just a moment, I'm gonna give some of you an opportunity. I'm gonna give all of you an opportunity, whether you're a Bearden, watching at home, or here in Maryville. We're gonna give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Lay down the fear, lay down the doubt, lay down the frustration and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. At all locations, I wanna ask you to bow your heads and ask that no one move around and distract those. This is one of the most sacred and special moments in someone's life today. How many of you in the room would say, how many of you at Bearden would say, I am, I am tracking with you today, Trent, and I truly believe that today I really need to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of the doubts. I'm tired of wondering if I have, if I have, and I'm tired of all the fear that I'm dealing with and the isolation. I'm tired of it. And like Thomas, I wanna take that step of faith and give my life to Jesus. How many of you in the room would say that's you today? Just slip up your hand and put it back down. Anybody at all say that? I think that's me today. Just slip it up and put it back down. I'm looking around. Anybody at all? I see, I see you, ma'am, in the middle. Just put it up high so I can see it. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see you, young man. At Bearden, just slip it up. Pastor Greg is there, he's looking. Anybody at all? I saw some hands. And so what I wanna do, whether you're here in the room or if you're at Bearden, I, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Lead you in a time where you can honestly give your life to Jesus. This is a moment, this is a time where you're tired of playing games, you're tired of the doubts, and you're ready to give your life to him. Jesus, I pray that you would save people in the room. You would save people at Bearden. You would save people watching online right now. We pray this in your name. Every head bowed. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, just simply tell him this. Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. 
forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me right now. I put my faith and trust in you alone. You, Jesus, are my Lord and my God. Thank you for saving me. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed, done doubting, I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold. No fear, no shame, no embarrassment. We're all family here. I wanna ask you to do something bold today. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're at Bearden or you're here in Maryville, I wanna ask you to raise your hand up high so that I can see it and keep it up in the air. Anybody at all? I see you, ma'am. Pastor Greg is looking in Maryville. Young man, I see that. Lift it up high so I can see it. Leave it, leave it up high. I see a couple. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see a couple. Leave it up high, don't put it down. It's not too late, lift it up high. All right, I see, I see. And I'm gonna ask you to do something. If your hand is up, we're gonna take one more step. One more step, it's gonna require boldness, but again, we're all family here. I wanna encourage you to take a step right now and just say, you know what? I'm laying it all down, all fear, all doubt. And I'm just gonna profess right here in front of everybody that I just gave my life to Jesus. So if your hand is up, would you just stand to your feet right now? Would you be so bold? has to do that, just stand up right where you're at. Praise God, praise God. Anybody else? Church family, would you give these two folks a round of applause and just stay up, stay up. Hey, we know what it's like, we know what it's like. Praise God. just a moment, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up, whether you're a beard or here in the room. And when everybody stands up, those folks who, yes, raised their hand, yes, stood up, or maybe you didn't, but you are saying now you wanna give your life to Christ. When everybody stands up, would you just make your way to the aisle and to the back of the room where our uh, volunteers are wearing a white t-shirt. They're gonna love you, serve you. They've got some gifts they wanna give to you and just pray with you today. So church family, can we stand to our feet and worship Jesus today? As you make your way, we praise God together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.